that for me is my recovery journey from addiction. That for me is my recovery journey from mental health issues. And it was like, I I want to be a good guy. I want to be a great guy. I want to be everything I can be. And yet, why am I behaving in ways that are out of alignment with what I'm committed to? Like, that's a head scratcher, dude. So like I, you know, my recovery journey, like led the way, which started in 2003 through this journey of self-discovery and the intersection for me as a musician to then become a music therapist and become a clinician and become an expert on the brain and on the nervous system and seeing the intersection between how my nervous system works, how my brain works, how that influences the decisions that and the behaviors that I engage in on a daily basis, despite my commitment commitments, all that music can play in either aligning the nervous system to me be doing my best work or actually disaligning. Welcome to Dads and Deadlifts podcast with me, your host, Rish. This podcast is to raise awareness around the social stigma of the word man up. Research has shown men are less likely to seek help for trauma, abuse, neglect, addictions, and mental illness because they will be perceived as weak. Research had directly or indirectly linked these problems to the social and cultural perceptions of the word man up. It's time to start a conversation and redefine this word man up. Each week, you will be hearing from men and women all around the world who survived emotional abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, and addictions, and how they came out on the other side with triumph to begin a new chapter. You will also hear from experts and coaches all around the globe on matters like brain health, psychology of men and women, holistic healing, fitness, and last but not least, what it takes to be a man, overcoming the social stigma and expectations and tap into your individual unique authenticity and vulnerability. Thank you for joining me in this mission to serve men around the world and letting them know they are not alone in this. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Dads and Dudley's podcast with me, your host, Rish. Today's episode is brought to you by the Podcasting All-Stars Mastermind Group. This group is for podcasters sharing their stories and impacting the world. Head on over to the Facebook page and see what the buzz is about. It's completely free to join and you get to listen and learn from podcasters all around the world doing amazing things. So thank you to all the podcasters for all you do and impact you're making with your stories. Now back to the show. So without further delay, let us welcome today's guest, Tim Ringold. Hey man, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So before we go further into this, I do want to play this. So Tim just launched his podcast, Reduce Your Stress. That's right. And I was just listening to the episode five, The Zen Farmer. Sweet. And Tim, I have to say this, not because you're on my, on my podcast, but since you launched it, this had been in my back pocket every okay. night. Wow. And, and it's amazing because I encourage all of you guys to go and check it out because this music is something that will help you literally every time you're having anxiety or anything. It just really just soothes you. Nice. So I'm going to play a little bit of it and then we'll jump right in it. Amazing. This is literally, I was listening to this one. So literally music like this is on Tim's podcast. So Tim... Who is Tim Ringgold? Let's start with that. <laughs> well, uh, look, thanks again. That was really cool. Thank, thanks for the shout out. I'm a proud papa of a podcast for sure. So, but more than that, you know, I am a proud papa. I've got uh, two kids here, one in heaven, got an amazing wife. I'm a honored husband and 47, still feeling 14 emotionally, mentally, but unfortunately I'm beginning to feel 47 physically, which is a little bit pressing, but I soldier on, you know, look, I love what you're doing with this podcast. It is. Thank you. Guys are, we're a product of our culture, you know, and you culture is the, it's like the water to the fish. So a fish in a fishbowl swims around in water, but it doesn't understand the distinction water. It just swims around in it. And if you, but the health of that water determines the health of that fish. And that is what culture is. 
culture is this invisible force that's all around us that influences who we become as an individual. And the health of that culture or the flip side, the sickness or the opposite of the health of that culture also influences the individual. And in the United States, we grow up inside of a very rugged, self-determinism, independent mindset. Mm -hmm. Very, very much ingrained in our culture. Like you can do anything you as an individual want to do. And you as an individual can change your mind. You can change your fortune. You can change your future. And much of that can be very empowering. However, there's an underbelly to that, which is that you don't actually do anything in this world of your own, by your own. This podcast that we're on right now is the result of an innumerable amount of hands that built the technology that run the data networks that are allowing us to look at a screen and connect on devices that were built and envisioned and marketed and sold and maintained, packaged, transported by an innumerable number of hands. So it is a fool's errand to think that we do anything on our own. And there's a great book by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers. Yes. And the story of success that just hammers this point home, right? And it's really important for men to understand, like, listen, you are a piece of the equation, but you are not the equation. And that's a key distinction. Like, wait, what? Yeah, there's this silent, unseen hand of influence all around you all the time. And it's Mm -hmm. messing you up and it's lifting you up at the same time. And so guys don't want to think that they're influenced by other guys or other things. We want to be, no, I'm not, you know, nobody else. I I make my own rules. Not true. Not true. As a guy who's halfway through the life cycle, I have had my eye on why is it that I screw up even when I'm committed not to? And that for me is my recovery journey from addiction. That for me is my recovery journey from mental health issues. And it was like, I want to be a good guy. I want to be a great guy. I want to be everything I can be. And yet, why am I behaving in ways that are out of alignment with what I'm committed to? Like, that's a head scratcher, dude. So like I, you know, my recovery journey like led the way, which started in 2003 through this journey of self-discovery and the intersection for me as a musician to then become a music therapist and become a clinician and become an expert on the brain and on the nervous system and seeing the intersection between how my nervous system works, how my brain works, how that influences the decisions that and the behaviors that I engage in on a daily basis, despite my commitments, role that music can play in either aligning the nervous system to me be doing my best work or actually disaligning or misaligning my nervous system because music can relieve a craving or it can trigger one. And that's something we don't know. And most people don't realize and guys never want to ask for help. You nailed it in your introduction. This uh, cultural stoicism is useless. And so getting guys to really understand what's going on internally, mechanically, either from a physical, emotional, social, or spiritual lens, you know, hammer through some thick rock. So just any kind of attempt at that is for the good because it takes, who knows how many times it takes someone to get hit over the head before they start to pay attention. And I think that in life, guys need to get hit more than gals. We're just less willing. And so just kudos for creating a platform that will be one of the smacks across the head that a guy needs to just literally wake up to a higher understanding of how the whole game of life works, which is that I lean on you, you lean on me, and we don't keep score. Correct. I mean, this is amazing what you said, you know, because that's the whole key. And I think like it's also not just America because I am interviewing people all around the world and it's the same underlying message from every culture. I grew up in India, right? And I came here 17 years ago to study and same thing. Like, you know, I mean, I remember when my dad passed away at 23 and I cried and cried and I had always been very emotional and I've been deep thinker myself. Mm -hmm. But when that happened, everyone started saying, it's on you now. It's on you, right? You are the support. And I'm like, okay, so should I not cry? 
or should I not feel anything? Mm. So I literally just subdued everything and let's go get to work. Right. Right. Until a lot of changes started happening. I'm 39 now. And all these years, 16 years through emotional trauma and uh, the abusive relationships that I'm my own addictions, it's a way to self-medicate like totally. hold on a minute. And then there was a point like completely when I was trying to reach out, even my friends and they had good intention, but the initial reaction is, come on, man, let's go grab a beer. Right. right. I'm like, look, that's the last thing I need. Right. Right. Yep. The, the fact that we are not talking about it and then you nailed it. Like literally just the fact that we are a society and until we understand that and until men kind of start realizing it's okay to reach out. Yeah. Because I, the statistics are just mind boggling. I started doing research on this six months ago and I'm like, what is it? Like of all the suicides, 70% of their men. It's crazy. Yeah. 70%. And then there was like a 48.8% of men are psychologically abused, but they don't speak up because they're like, ah, it's not happening to me. Right. Yep. And I went through that too myself. And there's like 49% of men admitted that they had depression and anxiety, but they'd never told their partners or their families or friends. All they did is a self addiction. So it's just all just a cycle. And we are trying to patch a band-aid at the end, we are not really going back to the foundation. Look, this is how we are raising boys or young men. And this is what's the outcome. Yeah. So the fact that I have you on, on board and literally your story, first of all, it just touched me. And by the way, I, I will tell you as authentic as I can be, I'm a raving fan of yours since I got to Thanks, know man. you from Rise Up Challenge, since I got to know you from Accelerator Program and everything, because that's the kind of person like you're like literally a person who makes me believe like, yes, there's good in this world and we all can go on the other side, even if right you're on. struggling. Right. And that's the whole point I want to put across today with you. Like talk a little bit about your story, because of course I heard your story. Yeah. Talk a little bit about like, well, who was Tim, you know, when he saw his friends and the funerals and the story that you talk about and how you came on the other side with triumph, you know? Sure, sure. So, you know, I grew up in Connecticut and I was kind of the white upper middle class, affluent, aspirational family, mm -hmm. like pretty insulated from the horrors of the world. Okay. So I think that's an important backstory that I was just as, as entitled as it gets, you mm -hmm. know? So you had a nice schooling and you were in a nice school district and everything. prep school. Yeah. I mean, oh, like, okay. you know, like I had it good, you know what I mean? Got like I, I did not face adversity when I was growing up in the ways that most of the planet <laughs> faces. I was pretty far up the chain. So the reason I tell that story is that I was simply unprepared in any way for what I went through when I was 22, because mm -hmm. when I, in my little white bread, quiet, sleepy hometown, my five best friends were murdered. And, and it was interesting because it was the night before the Oklahoma City bombing. I didn't tell this part of the story. Wow. But why that's interesting is that the next morning when we heard the news, my friend's high school yearbook pictures were on the front page of the local newspaper. And we turned on the TV and this is back before a cable. So the three main, like two, four and seven, there's the Oklahoma federal building. And there's like the uh, half blown down and, and we're like, what's happening? And then we turn it to the local channel and it's my best friend's house where my band rehearsed every Wednesday night and it's burned to the ground and they're pulling body bags out of the house. And you're in high school then? I'm 22. Okay. So, so I'm, out, you, I'm out of high school. Okay, okay. And there's only three of my friends that live there, but they pulled out five bags, which meant two of the, so there were eight of us that hung out together, our crew, five of us went down that night three of us didn't and no one knew who made it and who didn't and we're all calling each other we're leaving voicemails no one knows people are checking in and we just it wasn't for it was so it was wednesday morning when we got the news it wasn't till friday that we finally figured out through dental records that my friend sean was one of the kids in the house. Like that's how horrible it was. Like we're literally like no one knew who was alive and who wasn't because it wasn't like today where everybody's uber connected sure. in 17 ways. Nobody had a cell phone. Like landline know. and just... That's all you had and a voicemail. Right. And, you know, you may have been still living at your parents, you know, and have you seen, you know, blah, blah, blah. He hasn't, he didn't come home. Well, he may have just crashed at his buddy's house that night because he's also 22 or maybe he didn't. But like one of my friends I was in a fight with at the time and I called him that morning and left him a voicemail and said, hey, David, listen, I know we were in the middle of something, but let's just bury the hatchet so we can get through this together. Well, he never got that message because he was one of the kids who died. Oh. And I ended up going to five funerals in four days. 
And I can't describe it because I've never seen it done in movies. But I got up, I buried a friend, I immediately got as hammered as possible to numb the pain, and then passed out, and then got up and had to do the whole thing over again twice the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day. It was like Groundhog's Day in hell. And the night of the last funeral, one of my two remaining friends that were still alive says, you want to go see a show? And I'm like, yes, please. So we go to a club and there's this famous guitarist playing. I'd never seen him, but I read his column in Guitar Magazine, so I knew he was good. And he played and it was his first night on the tour and he's from Atlanta and he's playing his opening night on tour in Connecticut in a little podunk town called Danbury where I lived. And he's making jokes on stage about why they're in Danbury, Connecticut, given that they're from Atlanta. I mean, it made no sense to start your tour in Connecticut. And so I, after the show, I realized like, wait a minute, I feel good. I feel okay. I haven't had this feeling in a week. Like it's gone. I had forgotten about the trauma. I had forgotten about the pain while he was playing. It was like he... This is something that after realization, afterthought, or after, like, while... At the end of the set, you know, at the end of the concert, I'm standing there and it's dawning on me that, Mm -hmm. where'd the pain go? Wow. And I was like stunned, you know, because all week, dude, all week, weed, alcohol, porn, food, cable, everything I could do to try to distract and numb myself. Mm Mm-hmm. All of it. I just stacked it because that's what we do. We just stack chemicals and behaviors to try to get enough right. punch to actually numb whatever we're struggling with. And I just like, yes, please, yes, please, yes, please. And nothing works. And except the music did. And in that moment, I, I walked up to him in this realization. It was a club, it wasn't like a big arena. And I walked up and I said, Hey, man, listen, I know you were making jokes on stage. Like, there's reasons you ended up here in Danbury tonight that you know, you knew about, but here's one you didn't. A week ago, my five best friends were murdered and I've been in hell ever since. And you're the first person to bring me out. And I put my hand on his chest and like an EMP, I just like pulsed out through my arm, all the peace he gave to me energetically. And I, it just happened. Like I wasn't thinking, it just, Mm -hmm. just put my hand on his chest and I said, thank you. And dude, like this is a famous dude, tears burst out of his eyes. And like all the men, it was a middle-aged man and all the men standing around us, like it was like an EMP went off. Like everybody was like, mm-hmm. whoa. And we, it got really quiet and everybody just kind of stood in this space, this right. intense moment. And uh, that was it. I got it. I was like, oh, see, cause I, the part I didn't tell you is I played at all my friends' funerals. I played music. I sang a song I had written specifically for them. And I used to play to them in the saloon, like tear in your beer at open mic night, but it tore me up every time I played it. But my community was like, that was so healing. That brought so much peace. You have quite a ministry there, young man. Don't you forget it. And I'm just like, I don't know what you're talking about. But when I was on the receiving end of the music, I Mm. got what they experienced. And right then I was like, oh, it's on. This is it. I'm doing this for the rest of my life because I want people to feel how I'm feeling right now. And, you know, I had enjoyed music my whole life, but I had never been saved by music. And Mm -hmm. if you had even said a phrase like that, I'd be like, what's up drama queen, you know, like give me a break. But since that moment, Rish, I can't tell you how many times I have had people talk about songs that have saved their life or artists who have saved their life. And I used to think that was just hyperbole. And now I get it. I'm like, no, I get it. Like music works when nothing else does. Yeah. And so I just set me on a path. Like my purpose of my life is to help people reach for music in their toughest times, whatever that looks like for them. And I'll do it, you know, like, how do I, oh shit, how do I do that? And like, what's my career going to look like? So I'm like, oh, am I going to teach music? No, it's boring. Am I, because I'm a singer. That's my original instrument. I also play guitar. I'm a guitarist. Am I going to sing opera? No, that's dull. Am I going to do musical theater? No, ugh, yeah. I hate musical theater. So the only other option I could see was rock star. And I was like, well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm 22. That's logical to a 22-year-old guy. I'm going to go be a rock star. But I sat out. like I was like, that's it. Like That's the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to go out on stage 
just like this guy named Steve Morse, that's his name. This, just like he did it, I'm going to go out on stage, I'm going to play music, and it's going to heal somebody in that audience that mm-hmm. night. And that was the guiding principle going forward. And anybody listening to my voice right now, you've had that experience with music where it was there with you when no one else was. Yeah. And I've heard that story a million times now. And I'm just so honored today to now be the instrument that I am that provides that peace wherever someone is because music's powerful because it goes places I can't go physically. I can't be in your back pocket. That would be Uh weird, right? Like I can't like physically follow people around. I've had people say, I want to hire you to walk around with me and play me music. And I'm like, that would be nice, but you can't afford me. (laughs) Right. But because I can record the music, I can go be with someone in their bedroom Mm -hmm. in their darkest hour. I can be lying asleep, you know, beside them, like having their own little court minstrel, you know, right in their bedroom playing for them so that they can calm their thoughts down enough to where they can fall asleep. Right. That is such an honor. Like, I just love being of use. Mm-hmm. Such a specific way with music. There's plenty of guys that God put on this planet to entertain right. and awesome, great. But I just feel like God built me to be his instrument in a much more intimate, vulnerable, delicate, tender way. Mm-hmm. And, and it's pretty interesting to be a guy going in in such a way is a little bit out of character because the guys, you know, the story arc of the guy is he's not the one who goes in and is this tender, right. nurturing, almost like maternal kind of energy, except that's the way I was built. You know, I'm not going to go against my design. I've tried to be other people before. It doesn't work out. Like, yeah. I, you know, I've tried to be what my parents wanted me to be. It didn't work out. I tried to be what I thought society wanted me to be. It didn't work out. I tried to be what my girlfriend wanted me to be. It didn't work out. Finally, I realized, like, I just need to honor the me that was built to be here the way that I'm built. And that's a guy who loves a hug, loves yeah. to be tender. I hug my tree every morning in my backyard and it's one of the tender, most tender feelings of connection I have. It is so awesome. And I totally admit that I do it behind the fence. You know, it's in the backyard. It's not in public view, but I talk about it regularly and I wrote about it in my book. So I clearly am willing to, you know, take it on the chin. Like, guys, literally a tree hugger? Yes, I am literally a tree hugger and you should be too. Yes. So that's kind of the, you know, where it started and where my passion comes from for helping, you know, other guys and other gals. Now I'll tell you, my mailing list is 95% female, Mm -hmm. my Facebook following 95% female. And I think that that speaks to this cultural thing that you're addressing, right? which is that my willingness to be vulnerable, my Mm -hmm. willingness to open up emotionally resonates with women because they're already there. So true. When I post super, super delicate emotional posts on Facebook, if a guy responds, he says, that was a nice story. That's as much access as he has. And I run a grief retreat twice a year in Arizona. And there's usually 20 people in the grief retreat. That's right around the number we shoot for. And the number of men in the grief retreat, we do it twice a year. I've been on the team for 12 years. It's between zero and two guys are in the room every retreat. So it just really speaks to this cultural training that we've accidentally, you know, kind of not accidental. I mean, it's just, that's where we are as a species and we're evolving, but men are lagging culturally, but it's not because we're missing something in our nature. That's not it. It's not that guys don't come wired to be able to access these feelings. It's that they just become culturally trained not to. I love it. Because it's a sign of weakness. Yes. No, I think like the, that's the key part because this is another discussion I was having with another guest and uh, she's a psychiatrist and uh, we were having literally having this discussion like, look, I mean, yes, our brain are wired differently, men and women, but it's not that there's missing, there's something missing. We are culturally trained and marketed, however you want to say it, to portray that behavior. And now yes. what does another guy do? Like if they want to show up, someone else would be like, come on, man. Yeah. So what they do, they put a mask on or that's just, this is the mask of a man. That's it. Right? And totally. They, they might absolutely cry in, in the backyard or absolutely shut themselves down like in a room and do that. But oh my God, like I should not let my friends know. Yeah, totally. Sign of weakness. 
So we all have that, but we're not speaking up. And as you said, like, you know, just the sheer amount of data that you have, 95% is women, right? And this is exactly the same thing. Your grief retreat, same yep. thing. Same so thing. far, I have so many guests lined up. I would say about 10% are men that are coming and talking like this. Majority of them are women. Yep. And that's when you know that this is something that needs to be discussed. Yeah. More and more needs to be like this. And I think one of the things I shoot for, and this is where I worked on myself, and thanks for Tony Robbins, thanks for you know all the books and all the tools that I had, that's when I came in. I'm like, look, I cannot be someone else anymore. Even if I try, I am not happy. I'm giving myself up for someone else's happiness, but I am drowning every day. And this is exactly where I'm self-medicating with alcohol. My problem yep. was alcohol, right? Yep, yep. And once I realized that it was like a, poof, like a epiphany, like, hold on a minute. Right. And, uh, just the fact that you found music and, uh, I used to play drums and mm -hmm. I stopped everything. And now I have drums. Like, you know, the day I get anxious, at least I go and open up and I'm not a, like a professional player, but I, just playing that music, just hearing that, putting my headset on just five, 10 minutes. It's just like oh, peace. Yes. Yes. Right? And yeah. Music does that. And that's yeah. Exactly. And I, I love that you just said that you don't like play professionally because one of the things that like, I'll be on a plane flying to a conference to speak, you know, for either a medical conference. It's funny. I speak at medical conferences and I speak at entrepreneur conferences and um, talking about how to use music for stress management. And the guy next to me will say, you know, what do you do? And I'll tell him what I do. And it's definitely more interesting than anyone that they've been sitting next to. And so yeah. they get really curious. They're like, what? You do what? Like, that's really unique, you know, like, right. a, like the Tim show. And I'm like, oh, I always end up in an interview. I got to just, <laughs> I got to start saying like, I raise money for a cult, you know, or something. <laughs> Kill it right away. You know, I'm a fighting fundraising for a religious cult. How about you? Oh, uh, got this book I want to read. Yeah, why don't you go do that? But, uh, yeah, man. So it, it, they'll say, well, I play, but I'm sure, you know, I mean, I don't play. And they literally put up their hands like a confession. Like they're like, oh, you know, I don't play professionally and I'm sure I'm not as good as you. And I'm like, I didn't ask in either of those cases. Like you don't need to mm -hmm. confess that to me. But in our culture, this is very interesting because we're talking about these cultural currents. So right. a couple of cultural myths around music that are fascinating is that people as adults for some reason, get it in their head that in order to keep playing music into your adult years, you should be doing it professionally. Yeah. It's not written anywhere. It's not a rule of adulthood that you have to stop playing music, but we do it in our culture. And only about 6% of American adults will pick up a musical instrument in a 12-month period. But far more will pick up golf clubs or a basketball yep. or you know, they'll play a recreational sport all through their adult years. It wasn't even until I was a music therapist that I even heard the phrase recreational music making. I'd never heard the phrase and I've been on stage since I was four. And when I heard the phrase, I was 35 and I went, why have I never heard recreational music making? Why isn't that a common term like sports and recreation, like outdoor recreation? Like why isn't musical uh -huh. recreation, why is the language missing in our culture because the activity is missing in our culture. So we don't even have language for it because we don't do it. And I just started, it got me on this journey around cultural myths. And one of them was that around music is you've got to have talent and mm -hmm. that music, learning music's hard, expensive, and time consuming. None of these things are actually true. Right. What I can say is some people learn certain instruments faster than others. And what we mistake that for is we mistake talent and skill ability or skill acquisition, not skill, mm -hmm. ability, skill acquisition. So if you're a fast learner at a specific task, we assign this idea called talent mm -hmm. on you, like you're talented, you have something. Right. So then you go, okay, if I have it, where is it? Okay. Maybe it's in my genes. Cause we love to talk about genes in our modern pop culture as if anybody has any clue, <laughs> nobody that's walking around in pop culture knows anything about genetics. My friends, <laughs> anybody who starts talking, Oh, that's that gene. It's like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. It's so infinitely complex that it's a miracle that it's even been decoded. And we're still at the very, very birth of, of studying and understanding genetics and yes. even epigenetics, which we won't even talk about for now. But the point is there's no music gene. 
Mm -hmm. because music's far too complex to be reduced to the idea of a single gene that you either have it or you don't have it. Like you're going down the assembly line. Oh, I didn't get the music gene. Oh, I didn't get the sensitivity gene. Oh yeah. I'm like, God didn't give me that because I'm, I have a penis. So Mm -hmm. you get one of these, but if you get this, you don't get that. That is such crap. Mm -hmm. But we just live inside of this pop culture that that's just the way it is. And it's just not true. So I routinely at every single time I speak at a conference, I have the entire audience making music in the first 60 seconds without me using any words. I don't talk. Mm -hmm. I just lead the group in music making. And then they're making music and then we stop and then I start talking and I go, raise your hand if you don't consider yourself a musician and half the room raises their hand. And then I say, and then raise your hand if you don't have any rhythm. And the other half of the room raises their hand. And I'm like, so you're all raising your hand. How did we just do what we just did? And then they just sit there and they have no idea. They literally have no idea because the cultural story in their head is they don't have access to what they just did. Yeah. But I just led them through it. And now they're experiencing it. And now they have to reconcile the fact that there's a cultural myth right Mm -hmm. here in the room that we're going to destroy, which is that there's this thing called talent and that music's hard, expensive, and time-consuming. Now, if you want to learn classical music on an orchestral instrument, (laughs) that's the Mount Everest of music making. For sure. In the West, I don't know, you know where it is internationally, but what we teach in music education is we teach classical music and orchestral instruments. Yeah, those are the hardest, most expensive and time-consuming instruments and style of music to learn, but they're not the only instruments and the only style of music to learn or play. Right. And so my eyes were opened you know, as a music therapist that there's all kinds of ways you can reach for music that anyone can instantly access. And I was like... I wish everybody knew this from the get-go because they wouldn't feel embarrassed because they're not good enough. Right. You know, they would just let it rip. And I think that's the key word. Music is all of us. It's just that we are embarrassed because we're adults. So you're not like, oh no, I don't want to be embarrassed. But if you start humming, if you're humming, that's, you're making music music right now. That's it. That's it. I think people are just adding names to it. Oh, it's, oh no, it's just hum. Like, dude, like that's music. That's it. That's it. As far as your brain's concerned, when you tap, snap, clap, hum, rap, sing, scratch, strum, any of those physical activities, all you're doing in music is you're putting an instrument in the way Mm -hmm. of that physical motion. But your body is an instrument. So you can make music on your body, with your body. You don't need to buy a musical instrument because you are one. Right. And your body runs on rhythm. So from the cellular level to your organs, to your systems, everything in your body, the thing, the conductor, <laughs> the literally the conductor, the thing that keeps everything in your body running in total precision is the distinction rhythm, which is that there's a set repeated pattern of behavior. And that's how everything in your body runs. It runs right. on rhythm. It's not that people are like, I don't have any rhythm. I'm like, you don't have any say in it. Of course you, you are rhythm. You're a rhythm machine. You can't divorce yourself from rhythm if you tried, because your heart runs on rhythm. Your lungs run on rhythm. Your sleep runs on rhythm. You chew in rhythm. You walk in rhythm. You talk in rhythm. It's all rhythm. And people are like, wait, what? And I'm yeah. like, yeah, you've just been told a story. And the story has no basis in fact at all. And I'll just sit here in one minute and blow it completely up for you and we'll just start making music. And yeah, some people can sing better than others, but some people can strum better than others and some people can drum better than others. And so you just kind of figure out what your body's coordination is. Mm-hmm. Your body has coordination, which is just coordinating movement. Mm-hmm. That's dance and that's music making is based on coordination. So like you might not be the most physically coordinated person. So you might have trouble playing a certain type of drum. Mm -hmm. But if you can bounce a ball, you're playing a hand drum in perfect rhythm. If you can hammer a nail into a wall, you're playing a frame drum in perfect rhythm. And everybody scratches an itch in perfect rhythm rhythm Mm. so literally i put egg shakers in the hands of my audience and i'm just like just go ahead just start scratching and we i scratch your forearm and everybody's suddenly playing this perfect we've got this perfect percussion going on in the room and they're just like mind blown right and so 
I love doing this inside of music, but it's all a metaphor. Mm-hmm. So it's all really poking at this cultural bubble that we all live inside of. It's the water we swim in as the fish. We can't see it, but it's impacting us. Right. And so what are the other, you know, if it's a metaphor, like let's talk, where are these other things that you tell yourself you can't do, that you're not wired to do? And, you know, for guys who are in addiction, like you can get sober. You just aren't yet. I was about to get there for you. Like, so yeah, because talk a little bit about that. Like I know you said you had your addictions. How did you like the people who are listening to this podcast and who desperately they are, of course, I believe for addictions, you first have to want it yourself. Yep. Just like out of nowhere, you cannot just do it, just listening to it, or you have to first want it. And so talk to people, audience who is listening to this, who want to change it. And how did you do it? Sure, sure. So the first thing is that you're not alone. You have a nervous system. And in your nervous system, you've got some trauma somewhere in your memory banks that's messing with your nervous system. This is totally foreign language to most guys. Yeah. And so understanding when I learned about what trauma is, it changed my life. When I learned about my nervous system, that I have a three-speed bike and the chain slips off the gears pretty regularly with because of trauma i was like oh i've got some mechanical issues like i've got a mechanical breakdown in my machine that's what's going on it's not me it's not my personality you hear this phrase i have an addictive personality stop saying that today don't tell anybody they have an addictive personality addiction and personality have nothing to do with each other it's a function of the nervous system responding to trauma that's what's going on you have three speeds in your nervous system you've got a default chill gear you've got a stressed gear and you have a trauma gear you've three gears and if you want to go deeper on it go study a guy named Stephen Porges who's the one who suggested this thing called polyvagal theory and then Deb Dana is the clinician who's kind of translated it into English, that's where you're going to go. If you think I'm full of crap, just go look them up and that will, anybody listening right now, that'll kind of give you the deep dive on this. But the point is the shame that every guy feels when he does the things he's ashamed of. You are not alone. There's another guy, if you're a guy listening to me right now, there's another guy who's done exactly what you've done exactly what you've done. And no, 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 not me. Oh yeah, you. Oh, not that thing. Oh yeah, that thing. (laughs) Just the way you did it. Six times left, right, open, (laughs) blindfolded, left-handed, upside down, hanging from things in ways you didn't even imagine, my friend. And if you're a gal listening to my voice, the same holds true for you. The things you've done or the things you haven't done have been done or haven't been done by many of your sisters. And what was transformative for me was the first time I walked into a 12-step meeting into a room and I listened to guys tell their own stories and I heard all of the very specific thoughts, feelings, emotions, memories, and behaviors that I thought were only mine. I heard a bunch of strangers rattle them off like sports and weather. And I said, holy crap. And I was, uh, my first meeting they started sharing in a circle and at like 12 o'clock and I'm down at six o'clock. So I'm like halfway around the circle. And when they got to me, you know, people were introducing themselves. Now my kryptonite is sex. So yours might be alcohol. Another person's might be marijuana. Another person's might be cocaine. Another person's could be food, shopping, relationships, work. Totally doesn't matter. Right. It's in the nervous system. There's a behavior that soothes the nervous system better than anything else. And so the amygdala, which is this old part of our brain, remembers what works the best. And when you are in the stress response or the trauma response in an effort to self-soothe, the brain issues a craving by design and calls forth the single behavior it knows soothes the fastest and it doesn't care if it's healthy right legal or socially acceptable that is not within the purview of the amygdala it just cares what works Mm -hmm. so for me my nervous system found out that pornography and then sex later on solved my pain faster than anything Mm -hmm. so that's what i'm wired like to go that's the number one answer like freaking family feud so i walk into this room scared totally freaked out like oh my god but i go and they start talking and by the time it got to me 
I go, hi, I'm Tim. And apparently I'm a sex addict because holy cow, you told my story. You told my story. You told things that I didn't know anybody else did besides me. I can't believe, like I couldn't wish, I couldn't believe the specific nature Mm -hmm. of the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that I thought were only mine. And that as such a pervert or mess up or degenerate or just all the horrible labels I would put on myself, freak, I thought I was the only one doing those things. And it Mm -hmm. turns out there are men and women in sex addiction all over the country, all over the world in meetings every night sharing the exact same experience and they're breaking free from it. Right. And I'm like, whoa. Well, one of my friends, he's a total misfit. And I'm like, he got sober from sex addiction, meaning he doesn't engage in that addictive behavior anymore. And I'm like, you know, if my misfit friend can figure this out, there is hope for humanity. (laughs) Right. Because he was a degenerate. I mean, that guy, no, you don't understand. I mean, I got this going on, but this guy over here, whoa. And he turned it around and like, there's hope. So my advice to anybody struggling is like, look, you are not the first person to struggle with what you're doing. And you're not going to be the last. Mm -hmm. So just get over yourself, get over your ego and have a slice of humble pie and go walk into a 12-step meeting. In fact, walk into six, go to six different meetings on different nights because they all have their own kind of like subculture. Right. And somewhere along that way in those six meetings, you're going to meet yourself and you're going to realize I'm not special. I'm not alone. Yeah. And that there's a way out and that it's all invitational. Like you don't have to do it. You don't have to follow it. You don't even have to believe it. You can just wax on, wax off and follow the steps or not. It's just an open invitation. So I was sharing this yesterday. It's so by comparison to find a therapist right. in this culture, that's a good fit that you can get on their calendar. Like it's such a nightmare mm-hmm. to try to find a therapist. It is not a nightmare to find a 12 step meeting. They're free and yes. they're everywhere. So you go online and you type in whatever you're addicted to in Google, just put that and put anonymous. I've been in 12-step for under-earning and compulsive debting. I mean, there are 12-step groups for almost every kind of behavior out there. And they're very specific to each particular thing. Like there's like a questionnaire, you'll fill it out and you'll be like, oh yeah, look at that. That's really specific. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, someone else knows about that besides me? Wow. So that's my thing. You're not alone. You're not special. Get over yourself. Get into a room with people who have suffered because they've figured out a way out. And all you have to do is just walk in their shoes. No, I mean, this is amazing because I, I think like that's probably, oops, that's probably the first most important step one can take. So I'm going to jump in one last thing uh, yeah. with you, Tim, because knowing your story, the amount of sheer life you had seen and experiences and how you show up every day, like a story in itself. I do want to tell you because that's the story. I feel like stories are us. Everyone's story needs to be shared because your story can touch one person the way other stories haven't touched that person. Absolutely. And your story have touched me in my personal life because I'm a dad of a two and a half year old boy. Mm -hmm. And the story that you shared so authentically about Bella Mm. and your synchronicity and the universe and how the tree I forgot the name of the flower. The yeah, yeah, the jacaranda tree. Right. And just touch base a little bit on that. I just want people to know that what you had been through, and this is who you are. So they're not That's alone, right. as you said. Like, yeah. it's not the end of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sure. So life. I get it. I appreciate that. There's this thing. So my wife gave birth to our second daughter in 2009. Her name was Bella. She passed away in 2010 from a rare fatal childhood disease called epidermolysis bullosa, or EB. It's a disease where your skin is not connected to your body. Your body fails to produce one single protein that basically acts like Velcro that holds the organ of your skin onto your body. It is gnarly. And so your skin just literally peels off and it's horrible. So Bella was born, is totally undiagnosed in the womb, didn't see it coming. Our life just train wreck. And what happened was, two quick things I'll share about it. One, I had a conversation with a guy named Sean Stevenson who passed away last year. He had brittle bone disease. He wasn't supposed to live 48 hours. He lived into his 40s. 
he had known adversity like no one had. And so when I had Bella, I ended up on the phone with him and he said, you know, the stress of this relationship is either going to wreck your marriage or it's going to cement it. And, and I said, yeah, he goes, but here's the thing. You get to choose which one it is. And I was like, whoa. And then he goes, and I want you to choose right now on the phone with me. What's it going to be? Is this daughter going to cement your marriage or is she going to wreck it? What? And so I chose my wife. I said, I, you know, she's going to be the cement that deepens our, our marriage, the stress. So I told my wife the story. And basically what we did was we thought of Chinese finger cuffs. Mm-hmm. And so our marriage, every time stress tried to pull us apart, it actually made our marriage tighter. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the thinking the way we thought about stress. So we always saw stress as something that strengthened our marriage. Stress strengthens our marriage. And we just put that in our head. And then we just lived on and gave Bella the best life we could for as long as she was going to be around. And then I used music the whole way to soften her journey. And But what's really beautiful is like the disease is, they're called butterfly children because their skin is soft as butterfly wings. Her color was violet. My other daughter's alley was color was pink. And after Bella died, we moved and we bought a house in this neighborhood and it was April and there's this hill and there's a side yard and the side yard has this big tree with these crummy, not much like green leaves. And I'm like, oh, all right. And there's this tree in Southern California called the Jacaranda tree that in the spring blossoms these amazing purple flowers. And unlike anything I've ever seen. And I said, you know, on that back hill, I want to, first thing I'm going to do when we move in is I'm going to plant a Jacaranda tree. So we bought the house in April. And then we closed in May and we got the keys on Bella's birthday. And so we bring her urn, a birthday cake and a butterfly balloon to the new house. And as we pull up in front of the house, that tree in the side yard with the crummy, not much green on it turned out to be fully purple. It was a jacaranda tree. Amazing. And so Bella's urn is the same exact color as the flowers of a jacaranda when it's blooming. So Bella was the first person to cross the threshold of our new home. And my daughter, Allie, I have photos of my daughter, Allie, sitting cross-legged under the tree as the flowers are falling on her. And now every day as a practice, I get up and I go outside in the morning barefoot and I hug that tree and I connect with the tree. And what's really amazing about this revelation is I was just sharing this story because it was her birthday uh, the other day. And someone said, you know, I'd never heard of that tree. I looked it up and it turns out that a jacaranda, it's the symbol of rebirth. And the flowers of the jacaranda attract butterflies. And so every time we see a butterfly, we always say, hi, Bella. We talk to the butterflies and we plant milkweed plants around our yard to attract the butterflies. But what I didn't realize is that every morning while I'm hugging that tree, I'm really hugging Bella. And as a dad, I choose to infuse the love of my body and my soul into that tree every single day. And I feel connected. And that's something I get to choose to do and believe. And I don't need anyone else's permission and I don't need anyone else's agreement. Yes to feel that. And so as a dad, don't inherit anyone else's definition of what it means to be a dad that doesn't serve you and doesn't serve your kid. And anybody hearing my voice, you don't have to be your dad. You had one, but you don't have to be him. And if you listen to your woman, you don't have to be your mom. You get to choose. This is your shot. And so whatever it is to you, that's going to be right for you you know, how you want to live your life as a dad, that's what you do. Don't follow, don't inherit anyone else's definitions of being a dad that don't serve you. Yeah. Pick them up yourself. This is such a useful advice because, you know, when my son was born, I was like in that area, like, I'm like, because my dad was my best friend. I mean, like, I mean, he raised me good and he was a teacher. So I was like, yeah. And I would always try to think like, okay, what we have done, right? Until I realized like, hold on. I mean, I am doing, but I'm still not my dad. Yes. Then when I really started being myself, Tim, honestly, like that's when I started enjoying the process. Nice. Because I was like, it was more like a project for me initially. I was like, okay. I'm like, hold on, calm down a minute. Project. That's not me. This is me. I love to do things on a whim. I don't care if it's nap time. Who cares? Right now he's having fun. Let's have fun. And if he falls asleep, I will deal with that later. That's when I started feeling, and when you said that, it's so powerful. Like, that's when I think, like, even I was telling to one of my friends the other day that once you realize that, 
is such an eye opener. Like no disrespect. We think like, oh my God, like how can I even do that? Like yeah. we learn from our parents. Yes. But you don't have to be your parent. No, no. no. Take the best. Leave the, the rest. rest. Exactly. Be, be your own version. Yeah. The world isn't the same world. So the world requires new parents in the mm-hmm. 21st century. It requires something from you that the world didn't require of your parents at the time that they were parents. And so really be you now. Yeah. And because everybody else is already taken. So. Right. Amazing. So I do want to ask one question I sent to the yep. guest questionnaire. So every guest gets a surprise question for you. I have yep. two. Okay. <laughs> so. What is one word you can use to describe your music? Soothing. Wow. Okay. It's very apt. And I, I, <laughs> I, I, I agree with it because that's how I felt, you know? Okay. What is the best spiritual lesson you have learned through this journey of life at 47 <laughs> right now? If you have to give one like quick nugget of advice. So good like seven things are, are shouting for, for <laughs> oh, me, say this, say this, say this, right? right? So we're making it all up, wow. including the meanings to everything that's happening around us. So understand that the events around you have no meaning in and of themselves. You're the one who makes meaning to everything happening around you. You get to choose what meaning you give to every event that's happening. You always get the last word. Wow. So you can just react to life or you can respond to life, but you're the one who makes that decision in the end. So don't inherit other people's responses to the events of life if they don't serve you. Make up your own because we're making it all up anyway. Wow, what a powerful way to say it. Like, literally, <laughs> this is why I love you because, man, I mean, that's exactly the power of being authentic. You know, you were just like mic drop right there. I mean, I love you. <laughs> And then to end, I always try to end with like, I'm a huge reader, right? Like, and I have a lot of books and I read and I have my favorite quote. And every time I bring up a guest and I do a little bit of research and then of course I want to know them. And it's funny you, you hammer that because knowing you so far, and of course got to know you a little bit more today, I chose one of the books that I really hold dear to my heart, The Way of the Warrior by Hmm. Erwin McManus, right? And the quote that I wanted to share today with the audience and everyone is this. When you know your mind, you begin to see what your worldview and your mindset are inseparable. If your view of the universe is that it is generative, creative, and unlimited in its resources, you will have a mindset of generosity and will engage life with open hands and profound optimism. If your worldview understands the universe to be the result of arbitrary chance or of mathematical determinism, your mindset will filter out any proof that would support the contrary. It's like so wow. apt with what you said. And totally, what, that's crazy. What your life's about. It's amazing because, you know, some of these things you, you said and some of the things I've learned from you and try to incorporate in my life. This is a journey, you know, this yes. is a journey for me. It's all process. And the fact that a lot of my friends are like, oh, come on, man. I'm like, look, you believe what you have to believe. This is giving me the happiness and helping me heal through my journey. Everyone's journey is different. Yep. So take it or leave it. However you want to say it, that's fine. But I don't need to be ashamed anymore. No. That, oh, I am following this. I'm doing this. It's, no, man. That's, that's the power in it. That's it. That's it. You find the things that give you meaning. So here's my test for if anything's useful. If it helps inspire me to get out of bed in the morning, inspires me to be my best self during the day, and calms my brain enough at night so that I can fall asleep, mm-hmm. then I am going to believe it. Right. And for anybody, I just give you that test for belief, whether it's faith in anything. If it inspires you enough to get out of bed in the morning, calls you forth to be the best version of yourself throughout the day, and then comforts you and soothes you enough at night so that your brain can turn off and fall asleep, right. follow it. Believe it, whatever it is that I don't really care what it is. It's what it does that matters. And so, you know, I hug a tree, you guys, I hug a tree because it works for me. Right. (laughs) You don't need to go hug a tree. I'm not saying go hug a tree. I'm saying try hugging a tree. And if it works for you, try it again. Doesn't work for you. Great. Do something different, you know, but the only reason I hug that tree is because a guy wrote a chapter in a book about brain health, about grounding and walking around with your feet on the earth off the concrete. And I resonated with that chapter and I started walking around in my backyard barefoot in the morning to get connection 
once again. And I was like, oh, this is really soothing. Right. So I feel so good when I walk barefoot in the grass in the morning. It is so soothing. Thank you, Dr. Dan Engel, for putting that chapter in your book and putting that little seed in my mind. Right. And then I was free to do it or not. I tried it, worked for me, do it again. And right. I think that's, that's, you know, you just follow, follow the path. There's all, all kinds of things being laid out in front of you to evolve and to improve and to ascend. If you're interested, if you're not interested in ascending or improving or healing, don't. Right. You get the choice. This is your journey, right? But if you are interested, the clues are out there and you don't have to do it alone. Right. Thank you so much. So Tim, at the end, like, tell us like where people can find you. I know uh, you have given away a relaxation vacation that helped me literally three weeks ago when I got it because nice. I, was, I was finishing up my divorce and Oof. I couldn't sleep at night. It was not that bad, but there was always an anxiety. Sure. I was doing my meditation. I was doing all this stuff and uh, just listening to that music every night, like your guided meditation. Nice. And that process, like literally, I really have incorporated that in my life right now. Ah, I mean, I, so I would do guided meditation before, but the fact that literally 360, I feel that actually you're making it more of a vacation. It's yeah. such a new concept. Yeah. And cool. I am enjoying it. I nice. look forward to that at night. Now, nice. Right. That's so great. I'm so glad so to hear that. I absolutely really, really thank you for that. So I would love like if you just kind of talk about, tell people where they can get it. Sure. Where, where they can find Tim Ringgold and whatnot. Super. So just, it's really easy. Go to timringgold.com. And my last name is the two words ring and gold. So it's got two G's in it. Timringgold.com. You'll see my bald head. It'll say reach for music. <laughs> and then you'll see right at the bottom, it'll say right there in front of you. How would you like to take a relaxation vacation? And your answer will be, uh, well, I'd love to, Tim. That's a great idea because I can't take any other kind of vacation right now. (laughs) Yeah. So you're going to put your name and your email address in, hit the button, and then check your inbox, check your spam folder. You know how that goes. And you're going to get an email from Tim Ringgold. You're going to click on it and you're going to go get this link. And it's, look, I, as a board certified music therapist, there are things I know about relaxation and guided meditation that nobody else knows in the relaxation market. Nobody else is using the very specific things that are taking place in there the way I am. And so I'm tooting my own horn for a second because there's a lot of research that went into exactly the experience that Rich is talking about here. It clearly so works. It it's, clearly it's works. Really, yes. really effective. And what's going to happen is I'm going to I'm going to slow down your nervous system with this my classical guitar, and then I'm going to walk you out of the stress of the present moment back to a time in your past that you choose where you were happy, healthy, safe, connected, sober, just a mountaintop moment of your own. I'm going to guide you back there. And then I'm going to have you experience it all over again, like you're there. And then you're going to get to bring those feelings back to the present moment. And we're going to do that as often as you want. And you're just 15 minutes away from feeling the mountaintop feelings you've had in your best moments at any given time of day when you use and take a relaxation vacation. No, this is, this is amazing. So Tim, do you mind if I put the link in my podcast note? Why, that would be very nice. Thank okay, you. perfect. Because yeah, guys, so I'm going to put that in there. Go check it out because honestly, that's a life changer for me. I really mean wow. it. I had been going through a lot over past year and I, I'm a med- meditation guy. I had found a lot of other things, but this is something that I use nowadays in my daily life before I go to bed. Like That time is just my time and I really awesome. mean it. So thank awesome. you. Thank you for yeah. having that. I think... I'm going to end here. Thank you so much for being here and serving. And I really, really appreciate all of the things that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you again for joining me on this podcast. And guys, we will end today's episode with one nugget that I literally wrote down the other day that failure is a feature. So you can take failure as it is, or you can actually use it as a feature. Go out there, reach out. You are not alone in this. Tim said it. I keep repeating it. There are men who are in exact same position. They have, there are men who had been on the other side and came on the other side with triumph. So you're not alone. Reach out. If you have any issues, reach out to me in my email. If you know anyone, just go and help them out. Okay. So again, thank you for listening in this episode. And I will see you guys on the next episode of Dads and Deadlifts. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to another episode of Dads and Deadlifts. And I hope 
you are as excited as I am learning from our guest today on the specific topic, please subscribe, share, and leave a comment and tag Dads and Deadlifts on Instagram and Facebook with your experience of today's episode. Because remember, your one share might save someone from feeling alone and provide them the tools they can incorporate in their daily lives. Let's each of us do our part in helping men around the world. You can personally message me on my Facebook page or Instagram page, Dads and Deadlifts, if you want your story to be shared on the podcast or if you just feel alone and want someone to reach out to. Always remember, you are not alone. All you got to do is reach out. And I am rooting for you. Until next week, your host, Rish, signing off. I will see you next week with another brand new episode.